Thank you so much for tuning in today. We kind of have a kind of a really interesting podcast ahead of us. Manager Nicholas Bogner from Affirmative Entertainment. But guess what? He's going to discuss being a manager for actors, writers, and directors, something we haven't really covered. So sit back or drive in your car or do whatever you're doing and enjoy this episode. And now help me welcome Nicholas Bogner. Hoof. Hello, everybody. Hi. A fellow hybrid. I can be a hybrid if they can be, if actors, writers, directors can be a hybrid. So You're am I. You're a hybrid of the hybrids. I started hybriding. <laughs> That's a word. So you drive a hybrid. I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. I used to. <laughs> okay. You got to get back on your game, Nicholas. So I good do. to have you. We're going to chat and I really want to have everyone um, get an education from you right now um, because I want to go right into what it's like being a manager for agents and directors and and writers, but the difference between being a manager versus an agent, and were you ever an agent or just a manager? Not just a manager. Don't, insult, don't, ins don't insult me. I've never only been a manager. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, no, I'm not insulting agents, but no, I, I have had um, a varied career, but never um, as an agent. I've been... Okay a development executive, I've been a writer, got to produce movies as a screenwriter myself, uh, worked for Tom Cruise, I worked for Michael Douglas, oh. worked at TNT, and then 10, 11 years ago, I became a manager. Just oh. as I was hitting middle age, it's a good middle age job. Maybe I'm, past, maybe I'm past middle age, I'm not sure anymore. But it's kind of like you can grow old gracefully as a manager. At least that's what I tell myself. Even though you weren't an agent, what is the difference between a manager and an agent? Because you deal with agents, so you know the difference. Well, a my, my son called me a helicopter dad, which is quite an insult. A client <laughs> called me a helicopter manager, which is really flattering. So <laughs> so it's, it's, it's really being on for every little detail, big and small. You know, um, we become a travel agent, we become hair and makeup, we become, you know- um, Mother of the whole yeah. the hand holder. The hand holder, a, a little bit of everything. And, and agents just don't have the time, to be honest, because of the bigger number of clients that they typically have. And that's is what? part of what is that agent, agents, maybe it's 10 to one if they have a hundred. I mean, that's probably a little extreme. Maybe it's 1.5. Yeah. Um, but if they have 50, we might have 15. Yeah. Um, and we really try and do our best to never have, not that anyone is alike, but if you know what I mean, there are certain types that fall into certain categories. And we really um, pride ourselves on trying to not do that. So when we pitch somebody, we're really pitching one person. And, and when uh, an agent pitches, again, no fault of their own, they're pitching five to 10 people just by the nature of the numbers. Um, so we really don't want to put, there's enough competition out there. So we don't really want our own people competing against tip other affirmative clients, you know, um, some, sometimes a job will require, they don't know what they want, you know, and, and then maybe we have two, two people in the running, but for the most part, we really try and specialize. But so the, the difference is just a lot more hands-on 
you know. Um, but is there, is there protection for managers compared, like you sign a legit, uh, you know, um, contract with agents, do managers have that as well? And because I know in the past it has not been that way. And I think, I think things have changed, tell us. I think it's dependent on the management company and even agent agencies. Uh, we do have paperwork. It isn't a contract, so there's no start. Well, there's a start date, but there's no end date, which we hope never transpires. Right. But it's it's a, it's a protection letter, you know, because people don't realize that, hey, if I go to a convention because I'm on a show, we should get compensation for that as well as they should because it was generated by the job. Um, but in terms of protection, you know, we do a lot, but we never cross the finish line because we need a lawyer or an agent to do that on a legal level. Which, um, so let, so what is that crossing the line? What, what crossing the line is us procuring work, closing a deal. Mm -hmm. So I don't think any manager worth their salt these days doesn't look for opportunities mm -hmm. for their clients to get work. Right. Um, but you know, 25 years ago, I think that was like off limits. Um, today, it's, it's an expectation, which it should be, but we're very careful not to cross the line in terms of closing a deal. But what, happens once you, if, but what happens, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but what happens if your client sure. doesn't have an agent? The lawyer makes the deal? Uh, makes the deal. Yeah, yeah, a lawyer, a lawyer. I mean, I, I, I maybe you could do a sidebar right now uh, with writers. It's a little bit different because the WGA has given managers special powers. Um, mm. Can't you see that I have special powers? Can you tell? Let me just feel it. You guys yeah. feel it? Oh, ow. There you go. There you go. So, I just made your hair curly. It was straight a second ago. It's crazy. <laughs> um, but but I, I, I think technically if a client had to fire their agent, we're allowed to close a deal if if we uh, have an opportunity to do so, that. But, but let me ask you this, because I know in some smaller management companies, they don't actors don't have agents and their manager just makes the deal. Does that make it non-legit or is that just, they just do it? Um, it is legit. It's okay. only that one in a million client that is, um, you know, goes for litigation and, you know, we've, we've heard a handful of stories where clients have sued their managers for how dare you get me that million dollar job. I hate yeah, you I for that. So tell no, there's, I, I don't know who they are, but if you read about it or Google it, there are people that have done that. And but what are you saying? Um, that they've done it just so they don't have to pay residual? Uh, resid commission. 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 I mean, not residuals, commission to yeah. their manager. Yeah, I, that's what I would presume it would be because who doesn't want to work, especially if it's a good job. So to kind of like blame the manager for procuring work is very disingenuous. Um, well, and karma, there's a karmic payback to that. There, there is, and I we just make sure we wrap good people and it would never happen, but we still don't want to cross that line because of those reasons, you know? So this is for actors. Uh, so let me just reiterate. So manager for actors, you're more of the handholder. You're in there. You're in the little nitty gritty pieces of their daily life, right? That an agent yeah. can't possibly do. Um, but for 
for actors, do you like your um, clients to call you all the time? Do you like to, to call them? What What is the boundary for you? I mean, as a parent, I don't have a lot of boundaries. As a manager, I don't have a lot of boundaries. It's probably, you know, my, my bad on me. So they reach out to me all the time. If, if I don't respond to a weekend text, it's like, are you okay? Are you alive? So, so I, I typically, I, mean, I communicate a lot. And um, certainly text messages, emails are probably more preferential, especially on a weekend. Um, I, I, I do know some people, and I, I wish I were this person that kind of draws a line on the weekend, um, but, but it's hard to. I, I, I never have. It. Because you know what? I, I do love it. And my kids are old enough that, you know, I'm not taking them to Little League anymore, you know, or soccer. So I have time. Yeah. So for the actors, you handhold, you take care of them. They can call you because you have no boundaries at any time. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Most people do have the boundaries because I think it would become a headache after a while because actors, and I love actors. I was an actor and I coach actors. They can be very needy and they need that reinforcement but for you to say to me that you're open to being accessible to them all the time is a wonderful thing because they need you and they need that to instill that confidence in their daily life I really think so and for you to be a but, but I also don't want to just talk about hand-holding because there's a lot more that goes oh, into my it goodness. It's, it's it's reading the material yes. and also you know I've discovered I mean it's not like oh my God, the epiphany of all epiphanies, but saying no to projects is sometimes as important as saying yes. So being up on the material, reading, which is also good for me because I represent writers and directors. I actually found a terrific uh, director, Irish director, Brian O'Malley, because he was casting a movie called The Lodgers and he was interested in one of our actors. So before my actor really went deep into it, I checked out the director's work and I'm like, Jesus, this guy's good. So, you know, you, that there's an opportunity there. So I'm reading it to see if it's good enough for the actor, but also to see maybe this person doesn't have a manager and maybe I like their work, you know? Well, right, like and that. I wasn't saying that just about the handholding, by all means, that's just right, the right. perks that come with being a manager. And I think a lot of actors have managers to have that double dose of uh, the pitching <laughs> to have two people care for you and two people that are Definitely. taking care of you and two people that are looking out for you. Now, granted, you don't really need both. Do you think you, at a certain level, you probably need management or do you think- You need both. You, you absolutely- Oh, you cringe um, at that. The, I love that. No, be, because- well, good. Let's discuss. Tell me. Well, there's so many people that have to say yes yeah. to getting a, a job these days. And- we typically, with an agent, kind of, we don't double team, we, we spread the wealth. You know, yeah. you, you have a great relationship, let's say the, the uh, agent with the casting director. Because of my lit background and Melanie Green, who's, you know, the owner of our company, she too has produced television and film. So we very rarely don't know the EP or the director or someone involved with the show. Not, so, so it's really important to reach out to those people as well as the casting director because you don't want to kind of ignore and jump 
above them. You need to show the respect they deserve. But there's too many people that say have an influence on a yes. So an agent alone won't be able to do it. And a manager alone would be able to do it. Oh, really? Uh, oh my well, God, so, no, I, I'm teasing, but but yes, I mean, some clients choose not to have agents or don't have agents. And I don't think it's a terrible handicap for us, unless it's one of those great agents that really are additive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and really bring a lot to the table. And many do. So in your life as an acting manager, then we're going to switch to writing and directing. Sure. Do you, on the, with your actors who do have agents, do you have that camaraderie with their agent and you talk to the agent on a constant basis or how does that work? I, I really try to. I mean, we have a fair amount of international clients and um, I hate when, and I've had this with a client in the past where they represent them for Australia, let's say, or a, a territory and we don't and you know we have us and they don't and it creates like i don't know it's bad karma it's like you should all be in it together you know maybe maybe not everything is 777 depending on where they're from but i much prefer when we're all in it together i think it serves the client way better than dividing it up you know, that's what your attitude is all about. You are all about serving the client. You are all 100%. About, I mean, yeah. you care so much. So what, what intrigues you about an, an actor that you work with and how long do you stay excited about them? If, cause you invest and you take people on, you invest your time for free until they book a job for free. So there has to be something that invigorates you and how long before you say, you know what, this isn't working. Well, it is the best deal in town to yeah. not have to pay in advance, right? Yeah. I don't know. Whoever created the system made some mistakes. Um, <laughs> um, but, but, I mean, we're in it for the long run. I mean, we're not going to sign somebody and just look at next year's pilot season and go, they didn't book, yeah. we should drop them. I mean, we're, we're, we put too much into the growth period, the development period, for us not to be in it for the long run. Otherwise, why sign them? There does come a point of, you know, if you're starting to get not good feedback or they're not being very reliable and not being very responsive and getting their tapes in time or not in time, as I, uh, as I was referring. Um, so there does come sometimes a cap in a relationship where you go, Maybe you're better off with somebody else. You know, it's just not working. But it's rare for us to do that. But, um, okay. but you know, yeah. That's amazing. Who's, who was your first client that you booked on something that was super exciting for you? That you did that well, when I, dance? <laughs> no, there's nothing better <laughs> than that feeling. Um, job, do you have a dance that you do? <laughs> no, it's just I get really loud. I get really, I, I holler, I holler. I mean, I'm loud to begin with, but I, I, yeah, the whole office knows. We also have a bell that we ring when we book a job. So that's I love that. Hilarious. But yeah, so that's, so I keep it very handy. That's I love great. that sound. Um, well, 
when I became a manager, because my background was lit, you know, and I'd just come from TNT, where I was a VP of original programming, mm. um, I, I knew writers, you know, that was my world and directors. So um, I started running the lit division at Affirmative ah. and um, a lit agent sent me uh, a reel of a young Australian actor. And he said, you guys rep actors and the rest of the company did and does. So I looked at the reel and I was really blown away. And I shared it with the rest of the office and everybody's like, this kid's good. He's really, really good. Um, so we took him on. I'll tell you his name in a second. And the first audition was a Rob Reiner movie. Um, and again, my kind of background helped because Alan Greisman was, is Rob Reiner's producing partner. Mm -hmm. And I had hired Alan and Sally Field's son back in my TNT days. So I knew Alan. Connections, um, connections communication. Exactly. And, you know, he's got a very gruff, rough voice. And he's like, we're never going to hire an Australian to play this American role because it was, it was Americana as you can get. It was a movie called Flipped. And, um, and our actor, Callan McAuliffe, got the role to star as an American boy in Flipped. And it was tremendous. So it, 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 it kind of gave me a false illusion because I was like one for one. It's like, this is easy. You know, yeah. first yeah. audition, <laughs> first audition, I put him up for it. He booked oh, the said, job. Like, let me just interject because you said his sure. tape was so good. Why? Please, people who are watching this mm. or who are listening to this, what is that? Is it, what is that? I'm not going to answer. Well, you, you know better than anybody because you're so good right. at what you do. Well, thank um, you. And, mine you know because I don't come from acting but when I was at TNT I was involved in the casting sessions and as a producer I've been involved and you know it, it's kind of like with writers you know if they have a writer's a voice or they don't mm -hmm. and I think it's true of actors that they're just you're just drawn into their tape and you forget their acting and you're just like this person is so authentic in this role and it's magical when it happens and it doesn't happen all, all the time. And sure, you can teach technique and you can teach writers how to write, but there's a little something that they bring to the table that's hard to define. And this kid and a lot of, I think all the actors we end up signing have that you know, kind of special sauce, if you will. It's and the, it's the, you're, vulnerability it's allowing the other mm. people to let in right. the world and your little secrets but then not really knowing what those secrets are so there's an element of intrigue and energy at the same time and i think that's what draws people that's for drama but for comedy it's you know your quirkiness right. at a weird level as well so it's really and i'm just gonna interrupt and say that actors really have to know their quirky isms and their sexuality and their secrets and all that and they have to put it into a ball and then be able to access it with different, you know, on, on the writer's different lines and then it makes it seem their own and in the most interesting way. 
beautifully put. Thanks, Nicholas. You should teach your acting. <laughs> you know what's so great? I love you and you are my friend. But you are passionate Likewise. as much as I'm passionate about what I do, what we do here at the studio. You're just as passionate. So we, what do writers have to do to submit to you and what intrigues you? Is it their writing samples? And how have writing samples changed among the years? Because it used to be write a show that's on the air. I think it's changed a little bit. Tell us. Dramatically. I mean, you would never, ever now write a show that's already on the air. Um, that's, wow. I mean, you're, you're right, though, that used to be the pro forma, what yeah. you would do. Um, people want, look, when it's an existing show, the characters are already established. So you can show off good dialogue, you can show off, but you can't show off good character writing. And TV is all about character, not plot. Yeah. Yeah. So you really need to write an original pilot is really what will get you noticed and, and wow. perhaps signed. How does someone, well, I mean, I know how they write an original pilot, they have to, and they have to pick the genre they wanna put their focus into as well. But once they do, what does a, a new writer do? Just submit it to everybody? How do they get that jump off? Because there's so many wonderful writers who have never, will never be seen. Well, there are some great organizations out there. Um, there's one called Roadmap and there's another one called Coverfly. Mm -hmm. And they're, they've become like the American idol for writers in a way, you know, mm -hmm. where someone isn't that connected mm -hmm. and they end up matching um, writers with executives, with agents and managers. And oh, I've actually, it, it's, it's, they're both fantastic. And I've signed uh, some writers from both organizations can you just and, speak that organization one more time clearly and then maybe sure write yeah I, I don't speak as clearly as i should especially for a podcast so i apologize but um this is covid this is not used to be in my right. mics we don't <laughs> do that anymore so we're right. rolling with it and we're going with the flow yes. one is called roadmap one word mm -hmm. and the other is called coverfly um one word. there's another one i think uh, yeah one word so dot com, coverfly.com? Probably, probably, and roadmap okay. um, as well. And I think there's another great one called Shore, S-H-O-R-E. Mm. And they, you know, executives, whatnot, work on scripts with these people. And, you know, you could potentially sign somebody from one of these. I've signed a couple of people that were in kind of the writer assistant programs. It's called... W-A-N, Writer Assistant that? Network. That's oh. part of that's part of Roadmap and that's really great. And they're oh. already, they've already made some strides by being in a writer's room. And wow. it's, it's kind of hopefully with success, you know, there's opportunities to staff people. Uh, and some have gotten staffed and I've gotten people staffed on different shows. Um, and so the, the, there's that. And then, of course, you know, there's agents and, and lawyers recommending clients, mm -hmm. which is fantastic. But how do they get it to my the most? Hold on, let me just finish. My most favorite recommendation is clients recommending people. Oh. I think it's I think it's very flattering for one. Mm. that They would recommend people. Um, oh. So they uh, 
Um, so how do you what get it to? To an agent though, you just have to randomly just go and get all the agents. You're, you're, it, it depends if you're an emerging writer and um, you're probably want to go manager route first because mm -hmm. an agent is going to want a little bit of someone's career to be a little further along mm -hmm. than a manager. I mean, I would love careers to be really far along. Don't get me, uh, don't, you know, for sure. But we're willing to kind of trust our instinct and build until they get to a point where agents are calling us about them as opposed to us calling agents about them. Yes, and so when an, a young writer does get a manager and or an agent, what, how do you submit, what's the levels of the writing? Because it's writer's assistant and there's a staff and what is the levels? Just, could you kind well, of- Well, first of all, I mean, my, my favorite thing is, you know, when I sign somebody, if I have a pilot that I think is sellable, so, mm -hmm. You know, oh, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go really big. Go and, big, go big. And go big or go home. I love it. And, and, <laughs> and what's great about that is it gets the writer exposure right off the bat. Mm -hmm. And so it's great to be able to send a pilot out and go, it's available, but also it would be a great staffing opportunity for one of your television shows. So that way you can kind of do a two for one. They can read if they don't want to do it, at least they're thinking about your client as a potential staff writer. And so the, the, yeah, the writing world is a little different because you don't have to have any credits like you do as an actor to have that momentum to get a series. So if you're lucky enough and good enough as a writer, you can be brand spanking new. Is that what you're saying? And then if you have a great pilot, someone might just buy it. It's happened. And it's happened with several of my clients in which we've been able to sell spec pilots. We've also been able, as I mentioned, to staff writers on shows. Um, the writer's voice, you know, the, the sample, the original script is everything. Um, so, you know, in, I, I won't say black and white because it's still subjective. Of course, I could love something and the next person doesn't, but it's so evident, right? If, if the writing is of the level and it's a show that they want to make. Now, many times, of course, they want to pair your writer with a showrunner, someone a little bit more advanced who can supervise, which is also a great learning tool for the young writer. Um, but I don't just represent emerging. I've got some terrific established people um, as well. And it's kind of that combo platter, you know? Yeah, but I'm just great. talking about for, even if you had only, you know, executive producers on your on your roster i i do want the new writers that are listening to get inspired and to contact the places you've talked about and and the process so if they have a pilot which you're if, if it gets sold incredible but if it, they don't and you send around their work and people want to meet them in the staffing positions what are the um the levels well, you're going to start off as a staff writer. Um, you know, there it's very um, organized, the writing rooms and, you know, story editor, staff writer, story editor, co-producer, producer, consulting, you know, co-EP, executive producers, where you want to end up. You can jump a lot of those lines, so to speak, 
by selling your own pilot and you could automatically become a co-EP. It doesn't mean though, if you end up staffing on a show after selling your own pilot, that you'll necessarily be a co-EP. You might have to take a step or two below just to get your sea legs in a writer's room. But if your show gets made yes. and you're a co-EP, then you've really um, made some major strides very, very quickly. And so those titles are financial titles or more power titles. What does it really mean? Because at the end of the day, everyone in that room works as a team. But I guess there's an inkling of power who gets the final say. Um, you know, writers' rooms, sure, there's the EP, there's the showrunner that yeah. kind of rules the roost as they should. They've earned it. Yes. But um, it's all regulated by the Writers Guild. They're very easy deals to make because they're all really determined by the Guild. You know, um, there's, you know, sure, there's negotiations, but it, it is what it is. Oh, I hate that expression. God. But you have to, so if you don't sell a pilot, can you jump from, like some people want to take the path of being a writer's assistant and then moving on to staff writer. Can you be automatically jumping a staff writer into just without selling a pilot or do you have to take those necessary steps? Well, if you're a writer's assistant, you don't have to sell a pilot to become right. a staff writer. Right. You know, you're, 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 you're a trusted person on that staff the, the EP showrunner values your input. They've seen what you've brought to the table. And those people sometimes get to write or co-write an episode mm. of the given show. And that becomes a gateway to being a staff writer if that episode comes out so do you really think, well. Do you think it's, it's a good um, idea to be a writer's assistant? even though it's more like a production assistant, is there a difference between a production assistant and a writer's assistant? Um, I mean, it all depends on how old you are to yeah. a large extent. I mean, they're very low entry jobs in terms of pay. Yes. So you have to be able to be able to afford it. Um, so it's a bit of a luxury in that regard because you're not, you're not gonna get rich on one of those jobs. But, but if you- it's incredibly helpful because okay. if you pick a simpatico show that you are very suited for mm -hmm. and you're great in that position, um, you do have an opportunity. Um, really, the, the two jobs that I'm most familiar with in, in are the writer's assistant and the coordinator. Mm -hmm. Those are kind of to use that expression again, gateway to getting staffed potentially. Those jobs are quite coveted and very, very useful. The writer's assistant. Yeah, I mean, my path when I was a writer was I didn't want to wait tables and write at night or in the morning. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be kind of in the system. Mm -hmm. So I got, you know, like a story editor job working for Michael Douglas. I was an assistant, I got promoted. And I really loved knowing what was going on. You know, mm -hmm. that's more me than not everybody would, because they're consuming jobs. So well, you can't yeah, take the jobs lightly. You know, I, they, yeah. they take up a lot. It seems like to me that if you want to write films, you 
do waiter jobs and you write your movies. If you want to be in television, you got to get involved and you got to be in the room. It just seems like you would learn so much more that way. Well, you would, but but there's plenty of people that write pilots that haven't been in the room, as you know, and and they write a spectacular pilot. Um, Mr. Robot. I mean, I I don't know the full story, but uh -huh. um, Sam Esmel. Hopefully I'm not mispronouncing. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if there were great big credits before Mr. Robot, but wow. when you write something like Mr. Robot, you go, who the hell is this writer? He's got the greatest voice ever. And look at how his career has been, has propelled, uh, deservedly so. But, so there are stories like that. I mean, you know, so I haven't right or wrong way. You never know how you're going to move up. Never know. The truth is, is your authentic voice in your acting, and your authentic in your writing. And as we move on to directing in a second, it's going to be your authenticity and your your eye that makes it authentic for you. That always will give you that upper edge because nobody can be you. Exactly, and also you've got to be an advocate for yourself. You know, yeah. it, it, you just even when you have reps, you've got to be meeting people and looking for opportunities. It's just, you can't be idle. You no. really can't, you know. And what do you think about, before I move to directing, what do you think about writers, if they wanna just write horror genre or procedurals or comedy, should they just pick one or should they have a whole array of everything? Or is that confusing to people? Um, um, it, it's a great question. I mean, uh, you know, again, five, 10 years ago, even when I was a writer, I sold a couple of kind of thrillers and, and, and my agent wanted to keep me in a box and said, only write those kind of scripts. And it was good advice, but I think right now there's just people are looking for authentic voices. So you're less, you, you have to stay in a box. You don't have to stay in a box as much as you used to. If you're great in different areas, you know, maybe you send it to different executives. You don't confuse. If someone knows you as a horror writer, you know, Blumhouse, for example, don't send them a comedy because they're not going to buy a comedy, yeah. you know? So it's a whole different, you know, crew that you're sending material to. So you can kind of play different pathways at the same time. So if you have you a great idea- manager, You as the manager would guide your writing client into where to go. Absolutely. and and. I, I just don't think, you know, if you've sold a horror movie, don't do a 180 and do a broad comedy. Do small little shifts, you know. Um, Jim Carrey, to me, always is like one of the perfect examples. I mean, great at comedy, comedy, comedy. And then he does Truman Show and you realize, oh, he can do drama as well. You know, dramedy. You do know that me and Jim Carrey have the same birthday, same day, same year. No, how life. weird. And and I talk about it in my book, how I conjured him up on one of my big birthdays and I met him. It's like such a great story. But yeah, he's brilliant. But here's the thing. And I, and I love the way he's playing Biden. So cool. So great. He's brilliant because if you can do comedy, you can do drama. If you can True. do drama, you might not be able to do comedy. I, I agree, but but he didn't do the 180. He did like a 45 degree shift because Truman yeah. Show. I, I'm dating myself. I know it was a long time ago, but had no, right. It was yes. like, yeah. 
he baby steps into it, baby but he had it, but he didn't want to shock the world because they wouldn't have taken right. it seriously. So he, right. he he's smart. He's amazing. Sure. He's my birthday, my birthday club. That's cool. That's great. Anyway, okay, so we're moving on. So we have actors, you negotiate, well, you don't negotiate their deals, you look out for them, you read scripts, you get there, you know, you help get their auditions for sure. You, you know, help meetings and writers, you, you, you have to, you have a lot of reading. You're like a lawyer. You have a lot of reading that you have to do. But it's fun reading. I mean, yes. no, no yes. disrespect to lawyers, but, you know, I'm reading scripts. And um, yeah, so it's a different kind of reading. And yeah. I'm, of course, it's a different kind. It's very entertaining reading, I'm sure. But I not mean, always. Like, not like, always. You ever have to say to a client, mm, "No, this is no good." And for the writing clients, and then we're going to move on to directing. Do you give notes on their scripts and send it back and give them detail, like in a writing room when they get so many notes? Um, a lot of my clients trust me a lot with material, right. so I will read scripts probably before the agent reads the script That's and kind of do a set of notes mm -hmm. if necessary. Right. Um, so I get very involved with note right, notes. I mean, it's kind of my sweet spot, to be honest. I mean, I really love material and I have a good handling on what works. I have a good structural brain, you know, yeah. like- That's like, so important. So where things need to fall and whatnot. So yeah, I'm very involved with that whole process. And so let's talk a little bit before uh, before we're ending our hour with uh, about directors. So sure. how are how is all that different? How what I know nothing about how a director gets an agent or a manager without having directed something, or do they direct shorts first and they give you a reel? What what happens? Well, shorts have become an amazing opportunity mm -hmm. um, for a director to really show his or her stuff. Right. I'm quite proud because there's a movie out, start, it came out on Friday called Come Play. Oh. And my writer director, Jacob Chase, made the movie number one at the box office this wait, weekend. Wait, um, but, but is it? <laughs> it's in Orange County. You know, there are places besides LA, just mm -hmm. hate to tell you that. Mm -hmm. um, you can see it in Orange County. You can see it in Thousand Oaks, just wow. across the border in Ventura. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there are, yeah, I mean, it, it, and so that was based on a short called Larry. Mm -hmm. Wow. And the second people saw the short, they could tell what an accomplished writer he was and a director. So wow. we never, we had a bidding war on the material, wow. but there was never a question about whether or not Jacob should direct it. They, they, the they proof, the proof was in the short that he was so accomplished, so knew what he was doing, great with actors, you know, great storyteller visually. Oh, that great South African uh, sci-fi project from a bunch of years ago. Ah, uh, District Nine, District Seven. Nine, District Nine, District Nine. Great. That was a short. That great. was a short. Great, great. Um, so a lot of studios people, have. Well, let me just interrupt. So people will make that on their own, a short, and then submit it to you, and you'll see it to see if you respond to it. Or directors, they ha actually that is a director has to have something to show you, right? Exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, clients that I represent 
have made shorts under kind of my watch. And I mean, Jacob went off and did it himself and then just presented this fantastic short, Larry. But it's a tool, like if, if you need to prove that you're the right director for a given project, mm -hmm. if you've directed a short, you know, related or unrelated to that particular project, but get, shows that you have the ability to make that movie, that's a fantastic opportunity and a lot easier than having to make a feature, you know? Um, so of course, someone who's made a feature uh, already, someone um, who is really good at visual presentations is a very important tool I mean, it is harder when you're the pure director because you're not necessarily writing a script to put yourself back in the director's chair. Like a writer-director can always write themselves back into directing if they write a script that everybody wants. Right. A director, you're a little bit more dependent on others. And I kind of want them to get like, you know, a group of writers, like go-to writers that they really trust and maybe they supervise. And frankly, you know, have a lot of plates in the air. Don't don't have one because we know how hard it is to get a movie made. So you, you need to juggle. One thing, because we're talking about, you know, submitting and having a short that makes into a movie, which is a near impossibility. It happens for a lot of people, but a lot of people it doesn't happen for, but we have hope. But what about for making the moves into directing television? And I want you to address the fact that directors don't really have power in television world. It's the producers that have the power. So on most you know, shows that are a series that have been picked up, they hire different directors for many, many episodes, maybe not as much now for because of COVID, but they do that. So how does someone get into the directing world in television? What's that, what should their path be? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's tricky. There's some great directing pro, director programs that are offered up by the networks and, you know, they lean heavily as they should in, into diversity. Yeah. Um, so those programs are really, really strong. Having the ability to shadow on a show, mm. shadowing an accomplished director literally being their shadow on an episode which is means which means get up at 5 a.m and exactly. be on their side be by their side from morning till night not right. speaking not speaking that takes a lot of determination it really True. that's a lot and, and if you can find an inclusive director that really brings this person into all the meetings um, and many do, those are really important opportunities um, to kind of, you know, break in because, you know, it, it's kind of like when someone hires a director, they're putting their jobs on the line. Yeah. Is this director good enough, talented enough? Do they have the ability to stay on budget? Do they have the ability, you know, to talk to actors? production, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a lot of pressure. Um, if you're a newbie, I would also target shows that are in season three or four, as opposed to season one, mm. because season one, they're going to get the creme de la creme. You know, they're going to have their go-to people um, time and time. But so what is it though for directors that if you're not shadowing, 
how do, do you come from a school? What is that? Because I know nothing about that world. And I'm sure people out there are graduating. There's directors that are graduating from USC and other well-known schools. What's the move? What's the chess move? What do they do? Um, well, it's getting to know all the current executives at the studios. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, having a piece of work that's undeniable. I mean, okay. it goes back to acting and writing and you know, having that undeniable piece because I, I think everybody is excited about discovering new talent. You know, it's kind of what has to happen, you know, the passing of the torch. Yes. So um, who isn't excited by finding that, you know, the next Dakota Fanning or, you know, more originally as a writer, of course, yes. but there's nothing more thrilling than that. and. Um, but I, I don't want to pretend episodic director is being a director is a hard thing to break into. Um, but once you're in that club and you do well, um, it can be incredibly fruitful. Oh, um, yes. and, and friends who are, who are consistently directing yeah. nonstop episode to episode, not a right. and it's a lot of work, but they get good money for it. And they are, they're just, they're, what I notice about directors for television, that they are passionate, but they're open to opinions. And they don't get annoyed when someone gives an opinion because there's so many people stirring the stew on, in television that it's, you have to have the right temperament to be a director in television. You really do. I mean, look, feature directing is very collaborative as well but but television is as to your earlier point controlled more by the producers more by the writers the you know the showrunners um certainly if you direct a pilot you have a massive voice in terms of the determination oh, of the look and the production and the tone and yeah. the visual style but but if you're directing season two you really need to you know, follow in the footsteps of your predecessors. Um, and you can still bring something of your own to it, but be careful. You know, you're, you're really trying to support the show and they're not looking for outliers really to kind of shake it up, you know? Um, but, you know, and then the key is repeat business. Once you've been directed, once you direct an episode, direct a second if there's an opportunity because people really study your resume and want to know that you've been brought back because that shows, you know, that you've done a good job, you know? Right. And temperament matters for directors. Well, it matters for everybody, but the temperament well, really does matter. 1,000%. Absolutely. Yeah, and absolutely. Because the director, even though, I think the director has to hold the fort. It has to hold the, the calmness, the focus, has to deal with all the chaos and not make it and just calm it all down. So true, so true. And really, you know, more in a feature world, you're setting the tone of yeah. the show, but yeah, episodic directing, you're, you're supporting what's already pre-existing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so before we close, Nicholas, so interesting talking to you. Three pieces of advice. One for the actor, one for the new writer, one for the new director. And not to say, 
Nicholas, you guys don't know Nicholas and you can look him up on Affirmative Entertainment. They have a huge company. He has many, many, many successful people. But we're just talking as information for the new, newer artists out there. So what can, one piece of advice for an actor to get, move action forward and then the writer and the director. Before we say adieu. Well, the word I used undeniable before, I think is very appropriate for all three areas. So have, if you don't have footage, don't just wave the white flag, which is a term we're all using right now um, for good reason. Um, um, but, but, you know, do a self tape that we look at and go, this person is so good. And I wish they had more material. I wish they had more footage, but look at this tape. It's just, you know, so put together, if you can, a little bit of a mock reel. Um, obviously better if it's real footage from work that you've done and make it really accessible for the manager, the agent. Don't make it like all these attachments. And, you know, I just want to click on a button and be able to see it. Yes. So that's really key. Writers don't write me a novel on email. I just won't get, you know, it's like, oh, I, 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 you know, you know, bring up what is most pertinent about you or things that you've done in the past and have, I always require two samples that are great. Mm. Um, don't have 12 and mm. don't have one, mm. but have at least two because I don't, I don't want to sign somebody and I turn, it turns out that that one script was a fluke, you know, and I did that a long time ago and I never got another good piece of material from that writer. Wow. I ended up dropping that person, but at least have two strong pieces of material that you're really proud of. Mm -hmm. And a director, you've got to have footage, you know, and there's no reason why you can't go direct a short. I mean, I, Yes, I get it. There's money issues. You've got to probably fund it yourself. Yep. And, and, and that actually kind of connects to all three, writers, directors, and actors. Maybe there's a short, maybe there's a really emerging director that you want to hitch your wagon to. And mm. it's a great way to get footage, you know, um, something that really supports you as an actor really shows off the writer's voice and the director can kind of go to town on it. So there's really no reason to not have the goods, you know, because you can cook the I goods agree. yourself, you know? Cook, it's actually a great- yourself. That is the message for today. Cook it. Yeah, cook, cook it, yourself. cook and it. And we're not talking meth, I hope. No, we are not. Okay, okay. Cook your artistry. Okay, your artist. Much better. Much better. Thank you so much. I hope everyone who listens, write, write to the studio, uh, Sherry Shaw Acting Studio at Gmail. And if you want to have any more questions from Nicholas, we will. I'll answer them for you. I'll, I'll hound you, and then you can answer the questions. Happy to answer. Uh, guys, stay courteously aggressive out there, and keep going after your dreams. Thanks. Well put. Bye. <laughs>